Welcome to the Sale Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salestreet.org. Amen. Well, if you would, grab a Bible and open with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Today we'll be in verses 40 through 45. Again, Mark 1, 40 through 45. And while you find your place there, uh, on the screen will be a few of Paul's pictures from whenever he went to Galilee a few years back. He shared those with me, and so I thought I'd share those with you, and you can get at least an idea a little bit of what Jesus might have been seeing as he was traveling around Galilee. Uh, Now, if you're new to Sale Street, we've been studying the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. We're going chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we're doing this because we need more today than just a nice message. We need more today than just some helpful tips on how to live a better life. Hopefully we all today realize that what we need is the Word of God. We need the Word of God planted in our hearts so that it might grow a harvest in our lives. You know, the days of just try to be a good church person, that for all of us needs to be a thing of the past. We need to see ourselves as disciples of Jesus, carrying out the mission of Jesus in our everyday lives. And the Gospel of Mark is going to help us to do that. And so now recently we've seen in Mark that Jesus began his public ministry and he's traveling around the region of Galilee and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And as he's doing that, he begins to call disciples to follow him and to learn from him and to be on mission with him. So far he has called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then it says he went to the, uh, to the town of Capernaum and he begins to amaze everybody. And he's really amazing everybody by his supernatural miracles. It says he spends most of the night healing one after another and after another. But even though he does, he wakes up early the next morning and he goes outside of town. He wants to spend alone time with God the Father. And so finally, whenever the disciples find him, they're like, hey, Everybody's looking for you. Let's go back and continue the ministry that you began last night. But he tells them, no, I've actually come out for a different purpose. I've come out that I might continue to go and preach the good news. And so he is making it clear to his disciples that he has some priority for his ministry, that he prioritizes prayer and preaching. He is laser focused on maintaining a strong relationship with his father and and by carrying out the mission that the father has given him to carry out. And so as I've been praying for us this last week, I've been praying that the priorities of Jesus' ministry would be priorities for us. That we would set aside time each day to spend alone time with the father in prayer. That we might know him and learn from him and that also we might... Make the most of the opportunities that he gives us to proclaim the gospel in our everyday lives. That we wouldn't overlook those opportunities, that we'd see them and make the most of them and be faithful in them. And so I've been praying that the priorities of Jesus' ministry would mark us as a church. And so now today as we continue in Mark, we're going to see that even though the focus of Jesus' ministry was on his message His miracles would still continue. In fact, we're going to see that these miracles actually serve a purpose even beyond just the temporary healing of those who would receive them. Now for you, if you've received the healing work of Jesus in your life, that's an amazing thing. And that's a profound thing. 
And we, don't, and we want to celebrate that. We don't want to minimize that. But at the same time, Jesus here teaches that there's actually even something greater going on. And so especially for you, if you've received that healing in your life, then you want to see this greater purpose. And so Jesus says to us, he says, that my, the purpose of my miracles are this, to validate my identity so that those who would believe in me might experience the greatest miracle of all. And that's the cleansing and forgiving work, forgiving work of Jesus Christ. And so now let's read our passage together, and then we'll walk back through it. Would you follow with me as I read? Here's Mark 1, 40 through 45. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You got such a, a moving story about the love and compassion of Jesus here. And so if you notice last week and now this week, and we'll see also next week, that what we have in these passages of Scripture are these stories about the healing work of Jesus. And so as I began to study these, I noticed that there were some common elements to these stories that I don't want us to miss because they teach us so much about Jesus. And so before we walk back to our passage, I just want to take a moment to show us these truths on the front end so that as we continue to walk through, we might not miss these. And so here are five truths, five things that we can see in these stories about Jesus. Number one, Jesus responds graciously to demonstrations of faith. He responds graciously to demonstrations of faith. And so if you take our story today, for example, this man with leprosy, he completely disregards all the practical and all the societal norms of his day because he wants to get to Jesus because he realizes that Jesus is his only hope. And the same is going to be true in our story next week. When the friends of the, the man with paralysis, they literally tear the roof off a building so that they can get their friend to Jesus. And when these people get to Jesus, he doesn't reject them and he doesn't distance himself from them. He doesn't ask them to do anything to deserve his time and attention. He responds to their faith with grace. And then secondly, responding with grace, Jesus performs supernatural acts of physical healing. And so now at this time, most sicknesses and diseases were considered incurable you take leprosy and paralysis, they were not only considered incurable, but even untreatable. And so whenever Jesus heals them, these were supernatural works. It was common at the time for rabbis to even say that healing leprosy was harder than raising somebody from the dead. But like Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And then thirdly, through these miracles, Jesus displays his divine authority. And so if you notice, as Jesus' ministry continues to progress, his level of authority that's he's, that he's displaying continues 
to increase. And so we've seen that first, Jesus has the authority to call disciples. And when he does, they immediately drop everything and follow him. He says, hey, come follow me. So they leave, they drop their nets, they leave behind their family, they leave behind their jobs, and they go and they follow Jesus. And then from there, he shows his authority to teach. He goes in the synagogue, he begins to teach, like you are teaching with the level of authority that we've never seen before. It's not like the scribes, you're teaching with such authority. And then from there, he shows authority over demons. He casts out the demon, he silences him, and he sends him out. And then he shows his authority over sickness. He heals Peter's Peter's mother-in-law, and then he heals the crowds in Capernaum. But then now, with these stories that we're going to look at today and the next week, he's operating on a whole new level of authority. He's showing his divine level of authority when he cleanses and he forgives sins. And so now it's on a whole new level of authority. And then fourthly, through displaying these levels of authority, through displaying his divine authority, he proves his divine identity. He proves his divine identity. And so he says that these miracles are testimony or proof that he's more than just a man. He is the son of God. When the leper is healed, he sends the leper off. He commands him to go to the temple as proof, he says. Then when the paralytic is is healed, the scribes are there. And they're all witnessing this firsthand of the healing work of Jesus. And so now for these religious leaders, now their rejection of him is no longer going to be a matter of ignorance. It's going to be a matter of their hard-heartedness. And so even for us today, having his testimony today, the same would be true of us. And then fifthly and finally, in these stories, Jesus teaches us truths through these stories. He is teaching us truth through these stories. You know, so often since the Gospel of Mark moves really quickly, it's really action-packed, sometimes people say that there's not as much teaching in Mark as the other Gospels. But I would say that in a way that's actually not true because the teaching comes through the stories. It reveals deeper truths for us. And sometimes, as we know, the most impactful lessons come through stories. And so you take later on what we're going to see when Jesus heals the blind man. What does that teach us? It teaches us more than just the story about an unfortunate guy who had a good day. It teaches us that Jesus has the power of spiritual illumination. Or when Jesus calms the storm, that shows us that he has the power to bring peace into our lives. Or whenever he raises the dead, we see that Jesus has the power to resurrect our souls and give us spiritual life. And through all these events, try to imagine the perspective of the disciples. Imagine what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. Through all these experiences, they're becoming convinced of more than just what's on the surface. They're doing more than just witnessing some amazing events. They're gaining insight into spiritual realities. They're learning deeper truths. Through all these events, they're being taught by Jesus and being taught about Jesus. And they're even being taught about themselves as well. And so what I'm saying is, is that this morning, if you're not struggling with uh, leprosy and if you're not struggling with paralysis, then these stories that we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark are just as relevant to us as they would be to somebody who was struggling with those things. Even though these events took place a couple thousand years ago on the other side of the world, these stories are still relevant to us. They still teach us. They still have meaning for us. And so as disciples of Jesus... 
when we see these events in the life of Jesus, we want to continually ask these questions. We want to ask, what are we to learn about Jesus, and what are we to learn from Jesus? And so with these things in mind, let's take a closer look now at this passage, starting in verse 40. It says, and a leper came to him, came to Jesus. And so picture this in your mind. He is imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And so this man who runs up to Jesus, we don't know much about him. He isn't named. We don't know about his family. We don't know what it looked like. All he's described as is a leper. Leprosy at the time was this category that encompassed a number of skin diseases. It could have been that this man had what we call today Hansen's disease. It was the worst form of leprosy. This is where this bacterial infection gets in your body and it begins to attack your nervous system. And so what happens over time is you're losing your sense of feeling. And so then your warning system of pain is gone. And so when that's the case, then you might be, you know, when you're gripping something, you might grip it too tight or you might touch something that's too hot or you might grab something that's too sharp or you might injure yourself and you wouldn't even know. And so what happens with these people with this disease is over time they continually injure themselves and they become increasingly deteriorating in their body and they become disfigured. And so in Leviticus 13 and 14, we see that there are rules and instructions in the Mosaic law for dealing with leprosy. You know, we often joke about how Leviticus is like the Bible reading plan killer, you know? It's like for people who want to read through the Bible, they're starting strong with Genesis, then they get into Exodus, and they're continuing strong, but then they get into Leviticus and they begin to fade out. Because when you read Leviticus, it seems hard to relate to. It seems like these rules and laws are a little antiquated for us. And in some ways, that's true because we're now under this new covenant, but still we want to see that even leprosy laws were were relevant to these people. They were practical for them, and they even revealed deeper truths for us today. According to Leviticus 13 and 14, if you had a sore show up on your skin, you were required to have it looked at by a priest. And the priest had procedures to follow to determine if it was leprosy or if it was just a sore. And so then if it looked like leprosy, they would first quarantine you outside of the city for a week. If it continued to progress, they they would check that again and continue to quarantine you. And I know that there's some of us here today, you know of that feeling of what it's like to wait on your diagnosis. You know of that feeling of of what it's like, that that, that feeling of anxiety where you know that the results of the tests are going to have a big impact on your life, that your future could look really differently now. Well, for those in this time, these, for these ancient Jews, this diagnosis of leprosy would have been absolutely devastating. Because for them now, not only does it affect them physically, it also affects them socially and religiously. Because now you're not only considered unwell, you're also considered unclean. And so for these lepers, they were separated and isolated from society. They were quarantined outside of the city. They had to maintain a distance of at least 50 paces from people at all times. They had to wear these clothes that were torn. They had to wear this certain face covering to make it obvious to everybody that they were lepers. If anybody came near and they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, to avoid any kind of accidental contamination. And so for them, being unclean meant they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship there. They couldn't offer their sacrifices 
And so for them, this was this lifelong sentence of being cut off from all family and all friends and their job and their community of faith. And really, they're cut off from all hope. And so you could imagine why when this leper sees the one who he's heard has the power to heal, why he is so desperate to get to him. And this scene for us, it might seem like a, a, little, a little shocking to us, right? A little, a little different, a little maybe even for us insignificant, but everything about this is just amazing. It's, it's a it's shocking scene. This guy is so driven by desperation that he ignores all the social and religious expectations of the day. He absolutely throws himself on the mercy of Jesus. He doesn't shout unclean. He shouts, you can make me clean. And so this makes me wonder what he heard about Jesus that he knows that he can go to him like this. That he is not only somebody with all of this power, but he's also tender and loving and gracious. Let me ask you, is that how you see Jesus? As tender and loving and gracious? Do you see him that way? That he doesn't push us away when we go to him, no matter the condition that we're in. He doesn't push us away. You see, he's the one who all throughout the Gospels, he was continually being accused by the self-righteous religious leaders for, for who he enjoyed spending time with. So he was accused of being a drunkard because he liked hanging out with drunks. And he was accused of being a thief because he liked hanging out with tax collectors. And he was accused of being a friend of sinners because he liked spending time with people like you and me. That's who he was accused of, of being. But what we see here in this passage is that that's who Jesus wants. That's who Jesus receives. That's who Jesus loves. He explains in Mark chapter 2, he's, he tells the Pharisees, he says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not telling these Pharisees, oh, you've got it all together, right? You're not sick in any way. You, you're fine and good. No, he's saying... I know you think you're fine and good. On the surface, you think you've got it all together. You know how to follow the rules. And so you don't, you don't think you're sick. You think you're fine just the way you are. And so I've come for those who realize how much they need me. I've come for those who realize the healing that I can provide. And so can you see how this man's leprosy is a picture of our sin? Can you see that? Like leprosy, sin is this inward disease that reveals itself more and more over time. And sin is numbing, and sin is destructive, and sin is repulsive, it's contaminating. Sin infects and it spreads, and it even destroys relationships, and it leaves us hopeless. Because sin, it separates us from God, and it requires cleansing. And like leprosy, sin is something that we can't cure on our own. But thankfully, we see here how Jesus responds to the man's humble display of faith. This leper falls before Jesus, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, if you can make me clean. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And this man gets it right. He understands the authority of Jesus. He knew that it was not a question of power. It was a question of purpose. It's as if he says, Jesus, I recognize your power and I submit to your purpose. And so think again for you, is that our posture before Jesus? I know your power, but I submit to your purpose. You know, I remember, you know, a number of years ago, for a few years of my life, I, I was listening to, didn't receive it, didn't apply it to my life, but I was listening to this teaching 
that if you would name what you want and then you claim what you want, and if you did it in Jesus' name and you had enough faith, then whatever that thing was, it had to happen, right? That was that name and claim, that word of faith theology that is not in Scripture. And we don't see that, do we? You don't see these moments where Jesus has to respond to these bold commands of faith. But no, we do see him honor humble faith. There are a lot of people today who want to approach Jesus, and they want to approach him with the terms of the relationship. They want to come to Jesus, and they want to say, hey, Jesus, all right, here's what I'll do for you if you do this for me. I realize your power. I realize you can do some things that I can't do. And so what I need you to do is I need you to heal me, or I need you to get me a job, or I need you to, uh, you know, whatever, make me rich, or I need you to do, you fill in the blank. And then what I'll do for you is, I don't know, I'll probably tithe a little bit, or I'll serve in a ministry, I'll help out with Kidsville, or I'll do whatever. Here's the terms of the relationship. I need you to do this thing for me. But we don't see that in the Gospels. When that happens, Jesus would just say, now that's, that's not how this relationship works. I call you to come, drop everything, and follow me. You drop everything and follow me. I'll decide the terms of the relationship. And actually what this is, is this is a beautiful gift of God to us. Because when we're in these moments of desperation, they are such a gift because God can help use them to help us to go to Jesus in the proper way where we're confident in his power, but we're also trusting in his good purpose. You know, when you look at this story, Jesus in this moment, he could have been enraged by what this leper is doing. He's defying all the social expectations, all the religious expectations, but instead it says in verse 41, it says that he is moved with pity. Other versions say compassion. And he he does more than just speak healing. Look at what he does. He stretches out his hand. And he touched him and he said to him, I will be clean. And so when Jesus sees this man in such a desperate place, he doesn't feel disgust. He isn't repulsed by him. It says he feels compassion. Some versions might even say he feels indignation. But by his reaction, he's not indignant at the man for how he came to him. He's indignant at the effects of sin on this man's life. He hates the effects of sin. Instead of moving away, Jesus moves toward him because that's what love does. Love doesn't keep its distance. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches him. In Leviticus 5.3, it says that Jews were forbidden to touch anything unclean. If they did, they'd be defiled. But what we see here with Jesus is Jesus couldn't be defiled by anything. And so we might look at this story and we might think, well, is Jesus violating God's ceremonial laws? But that's not, what go, that's not what's going on here. Jesus is proving that he is the Lord of the ceremonial laws. He embodied the law. He fulfilled the law. And he has the authority to cleanse. And so I was thinking about this and how a few months ago I had officiated the, the funeral of Mr. Jimmy Nevels. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of a strange feeling. So after the funeral and as you're headed to the cemetery, uh, it's kind of a strange feeling to be the one who leads the funeral procession. Because you're the one that's right behind the police officer that's ahead of you. And when you're watching this guy, it's kind of a strange feeling because he has the authority at that time to really kind of overrule whatever the, the written laws of the road are, right? And so if there's a stop sign, he can go through it. If there's a stop, stop light, he can, he can go through it. He has the authority at that time. And so that's what we see here with Jesus, that he has authority over the law. He has the authority to cleanse. And so he reaches out and he touches this leper 
and think about this. This man probably hasn't been touched since his diagnosis. And can you imagine that feeling of what that would be like? Like not a handshake in years, not a kiss from your wife in years, not a hug from your children in years. Could you imagine what that feeling must have been like? I heard a story recently about this elderly man who uh, he lived alone, and I guess he didn't have many family and friends, and so he would schedule a haircut appointment once a week. He didn't need a haircut once a week, but he scheduled it once a week so that he could just feel every so often a, a personal touch from another person. Uh, I also remember as a teacher, there were students every year who, despite being in a school of a couple thousand other students, they could go an entire day and have nobody actually see them or talk to them or touch them. No high fives, no hugs, no hey, how's it going, just completely overlooked. They felt like such outcasts. And then over time, they just kind of got used to that. They just got used to not being seen and not being touched. And I could see that because on the, in the times when I would reach out my hand to shake their hand and ask them how they're doing, it's almost like they forgot how to react in that moment because they were so used to just being overlooked. And then also this week, I was reading a little bit about this people group in India called the Dalits. And these people who were for centuries at the bottom of the social hierarchy, for centuries didn't have the same level of rights, for centuries were treated um, for them based on the, the, the social class that they were in. Um, it's taught in their religion that their place in life was is a result of their own karma, the result of their past life. And so they're getting what they deserved. And so for them, for the other people in, on the higher levels of society, they didn't feel any compulsion to really reach out and to help these people. Uh, these were people who were probably more with, familiar with, they were called the untouchables. Could you imagine that being a part of your identity? You're an untouchable. And so here when Jesus comes along, he says, there are no untouchables for me. He reaches out his hand, and he heals him. He could have done it from a distance, but he reaches out, and he touches, and he says, I will be clean. And so it's as if he's speaking to his heart just as much as his body. He says, you're not just a leper. You're a person. You're my child. I care about you, and I'm willing to identify with you so that you can be made clean. He could have healed him with just a word, but he's teaching us something, right? He's teaching us that his love is such that he draws near to those who no one, else is being, no one else is willing to draw near to. And so I hope that we see through this passage that this is what Jesus has done for us. And I hope that we would see it so that we could extend that same level of love and compassion to other people. That we wouldn't see anybody as untouchable. We wouldn't see anybody else as lesser. No matter the condition that they're in that we would reach out to them and we would love them. We would have the same compassion upon them that Jesus had upon us. And so Jesus, he touches this leper, and through the power of his word, it says in verse 42, it says, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. He's immediately healed. And so just imagine this. All the sores on his body, now they're healed. All the limbs are now restored. All the numbness is gone. He has this feeling back. He is cleansed and he's healed. And then Jesus sends him out for a purpose. And that's the pattern of Jesus. He draws us in to send us out. It says, verse 43, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. 
And so here Jesus proves he is not disregarding the law of Moses. He tells the man, I want you to go. Uphold the law according to Leviticus 14. Go to Jerusalem. Go to the temple. Make your offering. Show the priest. Display proof that, that I have this authority to cleanse, that, that I have this identity of being the one who can cleanse, who is the Lord of the ceremonial laws. And then he tells him, though, he says, but don't say anything. When you go out, don't say anything. And we've seen this already in the Gospel of Mark. He tells the demons not to say anything. And we'll see this several times if you continue to read through the Gospels. Jesus will say this. He'll do kind of this supernatural work, and then he'll say, but I don't want you to tell anybody the time has not yet come. And so then we might wonder, well, why? I thought we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. I thought that's what he wants. And that is what he wants us to do. But here we got to see that Jesus is reiterating his priority in ministry, that he has this priority to proclaim the gospel and not only perform temporary miracles. He's trying to avoid another Capernaum situation. But instead it says in verse 45 that the guy, he goes out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. And so despite how clear Jesus was, despite how direct he was, this man disobeyed. And in fact, he really did the opposite of what Jesus commanded. And because of it, here's what we got to see. Because of it, the leper and Jesus have now traded places. And so notice this. This former leper, now he, would, he was once the outcast. He was once outside of the city. But now he's in and Jesus is forced out. And so what this does for us is it provides a metaphor for what Jesus did for us on the cross. You see, as sinners, we were the spiritual lepers who lived in alienation from God and his people. But we received cleansing and salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus left the presence of God. He was rejected by men. He was even forsaken by the Father. And because he was treated as an outcast, we can be accepted and welcomed into the presence of God. Jesus suffered for our disobedience, that this is why he came. So that when we would realize that in our spiritual leprosy, when we would realize this and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean, then we can look to this story and we can ultimately look to the cross and know that when we cry out in faith, what Jesus' response is, it's I am willing. In fact, I've actually already done everything that you need to be saved. I am willing, be cleansed. And so that's what we need. That's what we need to see through this passage, that we were these spiritual lepers, that we needed the cleansing work of Jesus in our life. And Jesus came and he said, I am willing. I did everything you need to be cleansed. So now just come to me. And so for you here today, if you're realizing I need the cleansing work of Jesus, there is no doubt that there are people here that they, you, you just feel if you were to stand before God, you would feel dirty before God. You realize the sin that you're in when you're standing before God. So you're feeling dirty before him. It's because of your sin or maybe it's because of somebody else's sin. Unfortunately, that can be true sometimes. Because of what somebody has done to you, you feel unworthy and you feel dirty. And so what we need to see, no matter the condition you're in, no matter why we're feeling unworthy, no matter why we're feeling dirty before a holy God, we need to go to Jesus in faith. He invites us to himself. He doesn't distance himself from us. He came to us. He left heaven and he came to us and he receives us. And so we just need to go to him in faith. 
And he does this cleansing work in our life. And so if you are here today and you realize, I need that cleansing work of Jesus, then just go to him in faith. And then if you want to learn more, if you want to talk more about what it means to, to, to give your life to Jesus and to follow him, I'd love to talk to you more about that. After I pray in just a second, I'd like to invite you forward if you want to talk, if you need prayer. If you're here and you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for physical healing, then come forward for prayer. If you need prayer for anything, come forward. Remember, the altar is always open. And for all of us today, I want us to see that this picture of compassion and grace, it should lead us into a place of greater appreciation and greater worship of Jesus when we look at who he is and what he's done for us, when we see that he didn't hold back from us, and so we shouldn't hold back from him. And so let's pray together and we'll continue in worship. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're so thankful for you sending your son, Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful that when Jesus came, he revealed who you are. He revealed your character. And so as we see the tenderness and the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, we know that you have that same tender love. You have that same tender compassion. And you're calling us to yourself. And so again, I pray that we would see our condition before you, but we'd see the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for the work that you've done in our lives. And we pray that it would continue more and more. Lord, I pray that we would be compelled as a result of this healing and cleansing, that we'd be compelled to go forth, to realize that you have drawn us in to send us out. And so I pray today that if there are people who we look down upon and we see as lesser, that we see as unclean in any way, and if we're distancing ourselves from them, I pray that we'd repent of that today. We'd see it for the sin that it is that you hate that kind of mentality. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that our ministry in this church is to not to earn some level of success, to not gather crowds or anything like that, but it's to love one another like Jesus loved us. pray that if forgiveness needs to be extended today, that forgiveness would be extended. I pray that if there's grudges that are being held between people, that that would be let go of. I pray that we would see your grace and we'd forget about all that mess. Help us to be the most compassionate and the most loving people that there are. Help us to hate sin and the effects of sin. Help us to be a people that radically give our lives to the work of Jesus. Help us to be a people who boldly proclaim that Jesus came, that we might have eternal life. It's only found in him. Jesus, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. It's only found in you. If there's stuff in our past that we're holding on to, Help us to experience the freedom that's only found in you. Help us to be about your mission. These lives are short, so help us to be about this mission. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us. We look for it more and more. 
pray this in Christ's name. Amen.